Adcom presents the A-Game Podcast, hosted by Jeff Culleton and Nadia Shiner, with guest host Connor Balderson. Today, we're talking about creative confidence with Kumar Arora, an entrepreneur, investor, and consultant whose ventures include Ilthi, Rogue Eyewear, and Trust Foods. Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of Adcom's podcast, The A-Game. Uh, today, we're welcoming Kumar Arora uh, to the show. We also have Connor Balderson, and at my right side, Atypical uh, is Nadia Shiner. Um, so I was originally going to start out by reading kind of the commas in the things that you do, but it felt almost disingenuous, like I was going to miss something. So Kumar is an entrepreneur times 10. So what are you working on right now? So everybody knows Ilthi, but what else? So I recently just opened a restaurant about a month ago. It's called Sora Sushi. Uh, I'm really excited about that. Um, for me, it was actually, and I'll get into my other projects too, but it was homecoming for me because I just came yeah. back from LA about a year ago. And Welcome home. I, uh, I needed to you know, bring some good sushi here to Cleveland. I was here during the pandemic and I just couldn't find any good sushi. So, you know, if you can't find it, you make it. That's been my motto with everything I do. Cool. But yeah, my portfolio consists of generally consumer goods. Um, like you said, Ilthi in the fashion side, uh, Sora on like the packaging side with, with the, the sushi box that we came up with. And then I've got a couple other projects as well that we'll probably get into. Cool. So uh, when Nadia and I were originally talking about having you on, one of, with so many different projects going on, we, we thought about, is there a throughput? Is there something that links them all together that either consciously, subconsciously, something very overt that like has all of them, your stamp on them? What is that? There's probably a couple things. The DNA, I think, for all of my investments in businesses, like there's something about me that exists in all of them. Um, you know, particularly um, with the consumer goods side, um, with my packaging products, I usually am the one who's designing the products. You know, coming up with the brand name, coming up with the marketing plans. You generally know it's kind of it's got my touch on it when you see it. Um, another unique thing is a lot of my um, investments and projects kind of have a disruptive moment to them, whether it's on a local level or on a national scale. I really love, um, you know, proving people wrong, you could say, uh, trying things new. In the case of Trust Foods, you know, we developed cereal out of egg whites, never been done before, high protein, low carb, low sugar. Thought that was pretty cool. Um, another investment, and I'm a founder of this project, it's called Rogue Eyewear. It's a sunglass company. Uh, we develop sunglasses out of stone, leather, denim. Connor's a big wood. fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're actually in our 10th year anniversary. I'm proud to actually tell everyone, I can say this now, we're bringing the company home uh, back to Cleveland for Dude, that's our 10th awesome. year anniversary. We're going to relaunch in about two and a half weeks. Good for you. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, Cleveland's happy to have you. Yeah, glad to be back. When you say disruptive moment, can you speak more about that? You know, I, I've always felt that when it comes to this generation of entrepreneurs, you know, we can't just necessarily start a business and then hope people will come. Um, you really have to create a competitive advantage or something that makes you different, right? Because when you're entering the market, chances are someone's already doing it, mm. right? Um, this goes to kind of the red ocean, blue ocean strategies. And I think that in my world, most things are tried and true. So when I w walk into a, a new industry or a new investment, I have to be very different uh, in such a way that people can pay attention to it, you know, and it, it can cut through that noise. So that's kind of what I've always done with a lot of my projects is, um, you know, really kind of shake the shake things up in that respective industry. I don't think you could see anything like Ilthi in, in a local market, yeah. uh, let alone what we do at Sora. So disruptive moment, I think, is something that hits you. 
And it's maybe, it sounds like in these instances, it's something that is unique to you at that moment, even though it's a, like a fully full, uh, fledged and industry, something that is really already very tried and true, like you said. So what do those moments look like for you? Are they, are, are they formulaic? Is it some, or is it, is it lightning striking? Is it just it's, like, oh it's, shit. It's there's... usually a lightning bulb. Yeah. It's the lightning bulb that hits to say, hey, this has never been done before, or, or this market needs this, you know? Mm -hmm. And how do we deliver that? How do we bring this to that respective market? And I think that once you have that Eureka moment, you just gotta, again, go into the execution mode and figure out how to make it happen. And, and then, um, you know, find the right team, find the right investment, uh, and make it come to life. That kind of leads us to yeah, our, that, our I next think that's question. A good... I, we wanted to know, you know, because you have such a diverse portfolio, how do you attract the talent to help you it's, execute? It's tough, um, you know, especially in this day and age, we were just talking about this earlier about, you know, staffing and finding the right players. But, you know, my I, when you know your role and you know what you're good at, it becomes easier to find people that are good at what you don't do. Um, it's taken me 10 years to learn that. Yeah, that's always a painful um, one for entrepreneurs. I am a builder. I am not an operator. I know that now. Um, took me a long time to figure that out, but I prefer coming up with ideas, um, kind of thinking about the big picture, um, planning out the vision. But when it comes to kind of the day-to-day -day stuff, I am not best suited for that. And I've learned the hard way. Um, I, while I can do it and I'm working at being a better operator, I've learned for me, I need to find operators who can do what I can't, yeah. right? And I think that's, you know, the way you build the Avengers for every respective business you have. Ooh, and I that's like exactly that. what I do is I look for the right team members who can um, do what I can't so and who, who can do what I can't do and excel at it too. That's important. Do you find, you know, a lot of your ventures that are e-commerce, I wouldn't imagine this to be a difficulty, but for something like Sora, you know, those collaborators are, do they have to be geographically close for you? Or is that, you know, is that something that even in, you know, putting together a brick and mortar that you can, you can be sourcing that Avenger team from anywhere? Right. You know, in the case of Sora, again, I mentioned homecoming, um, and I know we'll talk about failures and, and at some point we got to talk about the battle scars, yeah, right? right. But I think for me with Sora, um, I, like I said, I'm not an operator. I've never really operated a restaurant before, but I had the vision to create one. Uh, I was fortunate to find an amazing business partner, Fabio Salerno, who owns Lago um, in the East Bank, right next door to us. Yep. And it's been around for, you know, 15 some years. You know, he is the hammer, but I might be the arrow, you know, when we talk about different tool sets and I know how to kind of get to a direction, but he knows how to kind of build um, a really great workforce, build a front of house, understand a kitchen operation. These are things I don't know, yeah. but I do know how to make a place busy. I know how to make it look good on social. I know how to scale, you know? And I, I, we look at Sora as a brand, not necessarily just a restaurant. Uh, when you look at it as a product standpoint, I think it can definitely scale into um, consumer goods, grocery, um, fashion. You never know where we might go. And I think that's what's interesting. You don't really see that coming from a restaurant. How do you present to those people like, hey, I've got something here that could make a really great partnership? What do you what are you offering them? You know, I think it's probably similar to what you guys do. You know, you operate in, as an agency, you you pitch really good ideas, right? And that's mm -hmm. exactly kind of what I do is if I have a that eureka moment and I, I think I'm onto something, you got to find those right players and you have to attract them and just like a, you would in a pitch. And I think that's exactly kind of what I do, whether I'm investing in another entrepreneur or I'm the one, you know, leading the, leading the charge, I have to convince, you know, the core team to, to jump on. One of the things I'm very interested in that you do is there seems to be a right brain, left brain commonality into all the things that I've seen that you've produced, which is one, aesthetically very, very pleasing, difficult, but not impossible. 
on the other side, they're all really well constructed, engineered. We we talk about just the clothing at Ilthi, yep. or the boxes at Sora, or you know, like there's a, some real technicality, some real detail to those things. Is that you? Do you, are you able to live on both sides of your brain like that, or is that the partnerships? Yeah, I I, uh, I think this is kind of my God-given talent. Uh, I actually maybe have to credit my parents for this, but <laughs> uh, the left brain, right brain uh, reference is really important to me, actually. It's something that I live by because my uh, father was a scientist. My mom was an artist. Interesting. So I actually got both of those. Good lucky. Um, I would be at home painting with my mom and she taught me art, but then you know my dad would take me to work and I'd be in a lab. So I learned to be analytical in both ways. Um, I don't think my parents wanted me to be an entrepreneur, but I think what they wanted me to be was a creator because whether you're a scientist or an artist, you are creating. And yeah. I think that's kind of what they did to me. Um, I use both of those skill sets every day. I'm a marketer and a brander at the same time. You don't see that often where I could make a flyer, make an event, make a, a product, right? Mm -hmm. But I know how to scale it and get it out to the world quickly. So. Uh, you know, having two sides of the coin is pretty powerful, I think. I think that's why people want to work with me. I think that's why I can find great operators and, and partners because I bring two skill sets that are kind of the opposite of each other. They are the sun and the moon. You have an you know? unfair advantage. I'd like to that's, think so. It is literally an unfair like advantage. So. This is not a, a grouping of skill sets that typically comes together, yeah. which, is, which is, is cool. However, there's a third piece of the equation, which is execution. Right. And everybody's, it's, we we're talking about the other day, everybody's got one novel in them. Mm -hmm. Almost nobody has two. What is the, that execution piece is the difference between something that is financially viable and a great idea. And like, how did those things mesh together for you? It sounds like the partnerships is a lot of it, but mm -hmm. it sounds like, you know, this is where we lead into failure is people are terrified to start the first thing. Mm -hmm. People get addicted after they start the, th the, the, the first thing and love the feeling. But you, know, you, you don't learn, you don't get better unless you fall and you knock out your teeth. Mm -hmm. So like, what was the, we'll say your first one, or I'll give you a choice. You can go A or B. What was your first really meaningful failure that shaped you? Or what was the biggest one that you've had that shapes the way that you look at all businesses moving forward that you start? We'll probably go with the latter. Okay. <clears throat> and this will be fun because you guys probably can, can match up the timelines very local, but um, I'd say my greatest failure and one that I, has that chip on my shoulder still um, was when I lost Old City Sodas within my portfolio. Yeah. Um, I did a TV show called Cleveland Hustles a couple years ago and my you know investment choice on that was Old City Soda. At the time they were developing a handcrafted soda here in Cleveland. Um, when I saw that it you know I saw the disruptive moment you know I was like these guys are doing something very different. I think there's an opportunity here where the big players might recognize you know a low sugar soda. We need to see some of that stuff in the market. Um, I was living in LA at the time and I was more of a passive investor. Mm -hmm. I helped clearly on the show, but after that investment, I, was, I was, wasn't in the same time zone. It was a little hard. You know, How do you manage a bar and run a soda business? Yeah. And I, uh, I watched it, um, I don't wanna say fail, but I watched it kind of dissipate and it was barely, it hurt. You know? And I think that that was a, a learning lesson for me that not everything I do will hit gold. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you know, you have to be in the region. You need to be near your entrepreneurs. You need to encourage them, guide them. And I think that I wasn't able to do that in that case. Mm -hmm. And I hold on to it. You know, it, it hurts. So, um, lost a lot of money. Lost at least a quarter million dollars on that investment. You and, always um, get it back. 
Sure. No, I've learned a lot. I think that in this case, you know, I went on to work with Real Good Foods. You know, they're now on, Net, you know, NASDAQ. They've IPO not too long ago, um, crossing over 100 million in sales. Um, nice. I was their CMO during the pandemic. That was kind of a pretty cool experience. I'm still involved in the packaging, branding, social on the agency side now. But, you know, from there, I went on to do Trust Foods and worked with a bunch of other food companies. Here I am now owning a restaurant, too. So it might have been the stepping stones, that, that battle scar that mm -hmm. I referenced. But damn, did that hurt when I lost that one. But the the pain for the sake of pain is foolish. Mm -hmm. Pain for the sake of moving forward. I say this all the time because we fail at something every day. Oh, it's growth. That's it really, is. It's, it's, it's growth when you when you have that. We teach such such the inverse relationship to failure in school that is negative for everybody. It's like because yeah. the people that we deify actively fail every day. And the only reason that we don't deem it as failure is because they take it and they move with it. Yeah. They do something with it. And so I, I just think it's interesting, you know, restaurants, high high failure rate, clothing brand, high failure rate, new new beverage line, high failure rate. But those are things that most people don't look at to try and do because that innate fear of like, oh, oh shit, it could fail. Mm -hmm. Failure is a great part, man. I mean, it does. It sticks with you yeah. and it influences the decisions moving forward. That's not a bad thing. No, I look, I look at it now because it's been at least a good three, four years since that happened. Again, you know, like that battle scar, something you've learned from, something you can remember when you make your next investment. Yep. You know, my parent company is called Aurora Ventures and, and all of my brands are my children under that, you know, because I put my blood, sweat and tears in them. My investments are, you know, part of me too. And, you know, when I when, when Old City Soda kind of fell apart, I, it really made me think I need to probably move a little slower. I need to be a little more strategic and I need to find the good good operators because if I'm not there, in the future, or um, I can't be there. Can my partner handle things? Mm -hmm. You know, that's important. Is that you want to be able to lean on someone else too? When you have a failure, though, that stings like that, what is the what do you think are the personal characteristics um, that are required to to keep going? Like, is it you just need to you need to be a person who's inherently confident, a person who has an inherent sense of hustle, a person who I don't know. So that's the question. There's probably a few different things. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first thing I would think is belief, right? The belief that you have a long journey ahead of you, right? I think entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is a journey. I, I think some people look at it as just kind of a single thing you do and then, you know, you run with that. But I think that it's meant to be this ongoing kind of love that you have. And if, if I had a, a failure early on in my entrepreneurship, I'm sure it would have been a little different. But, um, you know, the whole idea is to kind of get back on that horse and try again because it's supposed to work and you're supposed to make it work. And you have to believe in yourself and believe in, you know, what you come up with. And I think that's really what it's about. Yeah. It's just the innate belief within yourself and that that motivation to say just because something happened doesn't mean it might happen twice. And if it does, keep learning. Right. I think that's what it is. I mean, we've seen a lot of great entrepreneurs figure things out in, in later in their later years. We've seen that with you know, famous actors who, you know, hit it big when they're in their 50s. I think you, Morgan Freeman would probably be a great example of that, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think the the, um, the statistics are out there. Most CEOs, you know, or they rise up in the ranks in their late 40s. You know, they don't hit it big when they're in their early 20s. You know, I think Mark Zuckerberg and his story kind of changed and glamorized entrepreneurship, but you really do figure things out within 10 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, for me, I'm an entrepreneur now for a solid 15 years now, and I'm still learning every day. Kamar, I meeting you, you know, got probably like 15 years, 10, 15 years ago at this for point real, too. Yeah. 
and you've been see, coming to my parties since you were five in that, high school. Seeing that journey has yeah. just been like inspiring, but not only just like makes you know me or other people kind of be like, oh wow, like it doesn't just need to be like very one dimensional, but there's an opportunity to kind of be like, what's the next thing? And like I don't know, always seeing you kind of from afar find that item, you know, sushi or sunglasses or t-shirts and like, mm -hmm. it's not reinventing the wheel in any sense, but finding that gap and continually always kind of moving that, you know, the journey dot along the, the map has kind of been a lot of fun Breaking to watch from afar, 100%. Yep, for sure. You know, one thing I always say, and I say this a lot at different schools is that it's not all about, you know, the saying when you're a kid about what do you want to be when you grow up? I hate that phrase. My parents would bother me with that phrase all the time because I couldn't decide. Kids should never have to decide that. My belief, and I say this to everyone I know, and I hope to say this to my future kids, is what all can you be while you're growing up? You know, and if you look at some of the greatest people, Leonardo da Vinci, Elon Musk, um, shit, even Justin Timberlake, this, you know, you could be an actor, a philanthropist, uh, a singer. You could do multiple things. You could be a sculptor, a painter, and a scientist like Leonardo da Vinci did. And I think that when you lead a life like that, it's a lot more fulfilling. Oh, we get as a parent. Yeah, I I will say this from a place of love is like being a parent scary, mm -hmm. and you, so you you might not intentionally do it, but you just like you nudge your kids towards safety. Oh, sure. You nudge your kids towards the thing that you think is going to make you sleep at night a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because you know I joke to this day like I don't know what the hell I want to be when I grow up. I'm 40 years old. I have no clue what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. And but that's the fun part to me because there's a core baseline of the things that I like and as I do more of those with more people that I like, I have more fun. Yeah. And it just ends up being authentic to me and but I can't expect like I don't give a shit what anybody else feels about my failures. Like my wife and my kids, that's about it. But I th so as we kind of move this in that authenticity piece is one of the things that I've been very impressed by and because it's a world that we live in in our business is you've been able to develop these really significant organic social followings. So we work with a lot of brands and we are responsible for helping a lot of brands grow their social followings. But a lot of the time that is, hey, we're going to put paid money behind it. We are going to help grow by lookalike audiences. We're going to mm -hmm. throw money behind it to get in front of more people. You seem to have done that very organically with your brands. And that seems to be paying off in a very significant way. Like, how did you do that? What's the thread of your social content that makes it so attractive? There's a human element to social media that I think people forget. Um, yes, we do. You know, Sora as a great example, because we just launched, um, we're at, I think, 18,000 followers on Instagram, and that's not by accident. That's all by design. And I think that um, we've done that with no paid spend, mm -hmm. no paid social. I love and that. it's what's really interesting is when you can connect on a human level on why you love sushi, why you need to be here, why you need to take a picture, that's when you're really getting people to get behind you. I believe that community building is the most important skill set. It's not necessarily just branding, marketing, and, and ops, but I think that when you know how to community build, you could do anything, yeah. right? Because then you can get your community to get you to, you know, to order something, to buy something, to be a part of a campaign, to be a part of a mission, right? And I think that's what I've done successfully with a lot of my brands is creating kind of that emotional component where you want to see this thing exist or you mm -hmm. want to be a part of it or you want to see it kind of carry through, you know? And I think that that's what we've done really well with our content, our messaging, the way we DM, the way we email. Um, there, there's a, a sense that we care. You know, it's not just an ad, but it's something that's a little more meaningful. But you're reaching people in the platforms where they exist too, where they spend mm -hmm. their time. 
So what's the frequency? And it's probably different from brand to brand. Sure. But like what what frequency feels good to you for communicating with those audiences? Um, I mean, I like to communicate daily, I think, through social. I think that's imperative. I mean, consistency is important. I imagine you probably tell your clients the same thing, like make sure you post every day. They don't always listen, but yes. Right, you know, <laughs> but it's also not about the what. You know, yeah. if you're posting what, that's not going to work. You have to post why. So we try to do that as much as possible. I'm, I get, I'd like to think I get pretty deep with my brands. and um, Can you maybe give us almost, an example of a why? Yeah, I mean, that couldn't be too hard. I mean, a good example could be, you know, obviously mental health month is coming up in May, you know, and I think that for Ilthi, we we did this last year, but we put out clothes that talk about mental health as a reason and how we can kind of bring that to light and how that's important to our community and beyond. And I think that when we could talk about a narrative alongside clothes, it's easy because you want to represent not just our brand, but what we stand for, mm -hmm. right? Simple fact, when we do Cleveland stuff, right? We, we tie it back to the Cleveland Food Bank, which I know you guys do some work with as well. Finding ways to rebuild our city is important to us as a company, but it's also important to our community. And I think that, that those small little unique ways get people to fall in love with you, right? The whole idea is to attract a consumer, get them to fall in love with you, and get them to come back as many times as they can, right? We don't see that all the time from other businesses. That's exactly what makes us different, right? What's your demographic? Um, I mean, it depends on each brand, okay. right? I mean, you know, in the case of Trust Foods, it's you know generally people who are into fitness or keto or, or diabetic because they need a low sugar cereal, they can't find one, right? So there's an inherent need for that, right? But in the case of Trust, if you get a chance to look at the packaging, there's a window on the box. Mm -hmm. You know, I really wanted people to see the transparency of what we're doing. There's the ingredients are right on the front of the box. You know, you don't ever see that either. I wanted to be able to show that through our packaging, through our messaging, through our social. That way they understand what we're trying to do and we can keep it organic and keep it authentic. You know, So again, it depends on what we're doing, but as long as you have that emotional component of why you're doing it and why it's important to that consumer, they'll figure it out for themselves. This is and that's it, the hook, that's how they stay. This is something w w with some of the larger brands that we deal with, there's a real struggle internally, like where do we engage socially? Not, not on the platform, but like with what's going on in the world. Is it National Women's Day? Is it Ukraine? Is it all these things that are swirling around us? And sometimes it starts to feel a little disingenuous. It's like, a, oh, this is what's happening this week, so I'm going to be, I'm going to give commentary on it. Yeah. I think to your point, it is really impactful when a brand says who it is and then finds those ways to attach it to things that are happening in the world on a weekly and a monthly basis. Brands, especially large brands, have a tough time having the honest conversation with themselves because of the number of stakeholders of who they really are and who they want to be, and then voicing that publicly. So that's that's interesting, right? Because they, they have that dichotomy where they have to cater to their existing community, but then, again, the shareholders that also have their own um, opinions and, and um, things that are important to them. But I think what I would tell my other clients that are on the national scale is go small, right? When you go small or go micro, that's what I call it, you're talking about real raw stories that are maybe from a specific community or you're highlighting a specific artist or you're highlighting a partnership that might be on a smaller scale. That's how you can capture smaller audiences, those micro audiences, right? If you make a blanket statement about Ukraine, it's not gonna have the same effect. Yep. What are you doing about Ukraine with the Ukrainian population of Cleveland, right? You talk about that, you do something with that, you'll have a far more imp greater impact, not just for your social, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not always about numbers, but you're also doing something good too. And I think when you go small from a, as a big business, it's much more successful. 
this is the same analogy you could say on a marketing side when you go and choose for micro or nano influencers instead of the bigger ones right because the bigger ones kind of don't have the same effect as a small one well and it's i mean you know it's now getting to the point where your ability to reach that scale of the Paul brothers or some people, like it's just so expensive. That right. are, are you receiving back? You know, it's one thing if you own the company and you're Kylie Jenner and you can immediately see bottom line revenue numbers uh, because of that. But like for a brand, being in that middle, being in that lower micro end actually has a tremendous amount of weight to it. Yeah. Which is cool to see. Mm-hmm. Cleveland is going through a bit of a renaissance in some ways. Um, in some ways, it's uh, as established as it's always been. People like you coming back who have creative fire and the ability to execute. Are you seeing like-minded people in this community like yourself who are starting to grow things? And if so, who? I'm, I'm just really interested in some of these people that I think it's easy to point out the mayor. But... The you know the mayor is now trying to change the establishment. I think so much more is happening, and like, where's it coming from? Who are you seeing? Yeah, it's funny. I was just about to talk about Justin yeah, right when you said it. Um, I was fortunate to get connected with Justin um, early in the pandemic. We were talking. I was actually behind a lot of his marketing and led his transition team website. I was the one to hit go at midnight on that stuff, redid his logo and stuff. So I was, it was a fun time to um, be a part of that that campaign. I, I look at Justin, look at myself, I look at a lot of other great young professionals who are even coming back. You know, I've got some great folks who have moved back to Cleveland in the last two years. And having those movers and shakers here, uh, it's fun. I think that, um, you know, coming from LA to Cleveland, for me, I always say this line where it's, Cleveland gave me my roots, but LA taught me how to fly, you know? And in some ways I'm grounded, but I also know how to navigate now. You yeah. know, I never knew how to do that before. Similarly, I think when we talked earlier, I talked about, you know, black and white versus color, right? In Cleveland, I when I lived here, I saw things as black and white. I had to move to LA to see in color, but now when I'm back, I still see in color. It's really interesting. And I think that happened to a lot of people who have either moved back as a boomerang or who just want something better for Cleveland, who can now use social media or YouTube or the internet to see what other markets are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's important now is that we don't have to sit back and be a second tier city. We can work towards being better. You know, and I think that um, in my case, like Cleveland raised me, right? And I have a responsibility now to find ways to make it better. And whether that's Justin or myself or any other young professional that I'm running into, I just love to see that that you know creative fire like you said yeah and I, I think it's gonna be pretty exciting in the next couple of years we're growing up we're becoming the mayors we're, we're owning clubs we're owning restaurants like we're doing things now yeah and I think that's kind of an interesting thing is that we are now coming full circle where we are now old enough to um, we've lived life enough to understand how do we have the power to change it mm-hmm. right and how do we create a better community it's been a lot of fun that's for it sure seeing been. you guys yeah. like especially everything you got rolling so then what, what's next then I guess is the Let's see. What's next? Did I reveal this? Hot I, takes. Here my, we go. My next investment, my next expansion of business will be in cannabis. Looking to get into the space. I intend to launch a couple of brands before this year is over. Yep. A couple, not just one. Not just one, eh? Yeah. Cool. I mean... I think Ohio is a great market yep. for it. Uh, there's, It's still so ripe. Um, you know, obviously, rec, rec hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, coming from LA, I've learned a lot. Um, it's way too saturated out there. So much like sushi and creating that sushi box, you know, I think cannabis is the next play for me. Well, and is that a benefit from being here after seeing 
in color in in LA and you look and you come back and you go oh we don't have this oh we don't have this oh we don't we have don't. this yeah. yeah and I think again I always say this is that when I think about projects now it's not just about that disruptive moment or how I can do things different but it's like the, Cleveland deserves these things right mm -hmm. Cleveland deserves a great restaurant Cleveland deserves a great fashion brand Cleveland deserves a super cool sunglass company like these things come from come from our city right and I think that's going to be the same mentality I have once I get going and I can unveil my next project. Cleveland deserves pizza by the slice. <laughs> they do. They do. Hot take. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know of any better way to wrap up than that. Thank you, Kumar, for coming by. Super excited to see what you do next. Like we would, we've been big fans for a long time. Everybody here is a big fan. Obviously, Ilthi is plastered throughout this office on people every single day. Uh, so we're, we're just really excited that you're back home. And you're kicking Glad it here, to be man. here. All right. Well, all right. Well, that is uh, that is it for this episode of the A Game. This will be posted uh, shortly. You can find it on www.engageadcom.com or any of our social channels or wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to the A Game at Adcom Production. Adcom is a marketing partner in Cleveland, Ohio, creating measurable returns for our clients. Like, follow, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and find us on your favorite social networks. Oh!